0: Go to dark Gethsemane, ye that feel the tempter's power. Your Redeemer's conflict see, watch with him one bitter hour. Turn not from his griefs away, Learn of Jesus Christ to pray.
1: As we continue through our survey of From Dirty Hands to Clean Hearts, Lenten Reflections on the Passion Story of Our Lord, tonight we move to Part 3, Hands of Misguided Zeal. No, after looking at Judas last week, we are not continuing with Simon the Zealot, another of the twelve who formerly belonged to that particular fanatical group of Jewish nationalists. Instead, we will be looking at the one known for rash statements and bold actions, that other Simon, Simon Peter.
0: Follow to the judgment hall, view the Lord of Life arraigned. Oh, the wormwood and the gall! Oh, the pangs his soul sustain. Shun not suffering, shame or loss. Of him to bear
1: the cross. grace mercy and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of course it was Peter of the four gospel accounts that record what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane on Holy Thursday only John identifies Peter as the disciple who grabbed his sword and gashed the right ear of the high priest's servant. But if John had omitted that little detail, if the disciple who was responsible would have gone unnamed in all four Gospels, if you would have been left to guess the identity of the guilty party, isn't it possible that your first instinct would have been to respond, that sounds like something Peter would do. Simon Peter was one of the Lord's first and closest of followers. Because he was so often taking the lead, Peter had also taken on the unofficial role of leader among the disciples. His impulses were sometimes bold and often correct. When Jesus asked the twelve who they thought he was, It was Peter who confessed, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus approached his disciples by walking on the water in the middle of the night, Peter was the one who risked his life by stepping out of the boat to meet him. And in the upper room, after Jesus predicted that all the disciples would abandon him, Peter was the first to pledge that he would rather die than disown his Savior. But then there were those other occasions when Peter's react-before-you-think attitude did not serve him so well. Shortly after Peter made that beautiful confession of faith, he took Jesus aside and tried to convince him that this whole going to Jerusalem and dying on the cross thing should not be a part of the Messiah's mission. That earned Peter a rebuke from the Master, get behind me, Satan. I'm confident that Peter never forgot the sting of those words. But I am also convinced that he did not fully understand them either because we find him going down a similar path in the inspired word set before us tonight in John chapter 18. The only difference is that instead of using words to impede God's plan of salvation, Peter takes things into his own hands, displaying brute force in a vain attempt to avert what was to come. We know why Jesus' enemies came to the garden. They hated him. They had led a small army there, armed with swords and clubs, to secure this man for trial and execution. Peter reacted by drawing his own sword in defense of his Lord. He loved Jesus, and after that blistering rebuke, had something to prove that he would die fighting for Jesus if it came down to it. Peter was full of what he believed to be righteous zeal. But that zeal turned out to be misguided. Now, you and I love Jesus, too. And we can be easily upset or angered when our Savior's name is dragged through the mud or when his word is ridiculed and dismissed by the world. Whenever that happens, we want to do something about it. We want to project Jesus. We want to defend him. Those are good and godly impulses, but we need to be careful that we don't go too far. That we don't step over the boundary of God's word. That we don't become guilty of having hands of misguided zeal besides identifying Peter as the disciple who assaulted Malchus. Only John reports something else that happened that night, something that clears up any confusion about just who was in control of the situation that night in the garden. And it wasn't the Jewish officials or the goon squad that they had sent to arrest Jesus. Notice that instead of hiding in the shadows or heading for the hills, Jesus went out to meet his would-be captors. Also note that the one who knew everything that was about to happen to him also knew the answer to the question he greeted the soldiers with, whom do you seek? They obviously wanted Jesus. They had been wanting to get rid of him for a long time. In the past, they had tried to dispose of him several times before, with no results. The only reason this attempt would be successful was because Jesus' time had finally come. Here's where things get interesting. When they responded, Jesus of Nazareth, he had an answer, but it wasn't the one they were expecting. He simply said, I am he. Sometimes modern translations of the Bible miss the power of the untranslated text. And I believe this is one of those times because of what comes next. Now, John doesn't continue with, and after they identified their quarry, the soldiers rushed at him, bound him, and led him back into the city. No. The next verse says, When Jesus said to them, I am he... They drew back and fell to the ground. In Greek, the answer Jesus gave is only two words long, Ego Ami, I am. To my mind, this harkens back to some words Moses heard from a certain burning bush when he asked who it was that was sending him to deliver the Israelites, remember God said, Say this to the people of Israel I am, has sent me to you. The soldiers came looking for a Jesus of Nazareth. Instead, they encountered the living God in the flesh. It's as if he were saying to them, You may be looking for an itinerant, troublemaking rabbi, but let's be clear. You have found the great I Am. Without raising his hand, without even lifting a finger, Jesus demonstrated his divine power through an emphatic expression of his word. But Jesus wasn't finished yet. Even though he was vastly outnumbered, he was the one giving the orders even though he would have had every right to defend himself, he was more concerned about his followers. He told the crowd, I told you that I am he. So, if you seek me, let these men go. Thus making good on his promise to protect those that the Father had given to him. Now, Peter was right there in the midst of all of this, taking it all in. He had witnessed how the mob had been forced to bow down before Jesus, and how quickly they had given in to the Lord's terms of surrender. But instead of taking advantage of the peaceful release that Jesus had negotiated, Peter, without warning, drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. What was Peter thinking? Perhaps he wasn't thinking at all, just reacting to a situation where his friend was surrounded by hostile men displaying murderous intent and he let his instincts and emotions take over. On the other hand, maybe Peter did think things through before he sprang into action. In the days leading up to this, perhaps he was replaying in his mind the pledge he had made to defend Jesus to the death. And in doing so, he had convinced himself that this may very well be the night he would put that pledge to the test. He could see that his Savior needed help, and in spite of the odds, he was going to come to the rescue. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to help a friend in need, Unless, of course, when that friend is in total control of everything because he is the living and true God of the universe. He is omniscient. He knows all. He is omnipotent. He has power over all things. And of all people, Peter should have known that. I mean, just now in the garden... And for more than three years before then, he had been given many convincing proofs of these very things. Peter was guilty of assaulting another human being. But his decision to lash out with his sword was only a symptom of a much more fundamental problem. By deciding that he needed to do something to help Jesus... Peter demonstrated an appalling lack of understanding or even worse, a lack of trust in God. It could be a struggle for us to find parallels to what Peter did to come up with examples of Christians who used force to defend or advance the Christian cause. We might think of things like the Crusades or the Inquisition, which were some of the darkest days in the history of the Church. Or we might look at something more recent, a Christian extremist bombing an abortion clinic. However, for the most part, modern Christianity is a peaceful religion. And I think that I speak for the rest of us when I say that any kind of violence directed at another person, either in the name of God or for any other reason, is a clear violation of the fifth commandment. Jesus reprimanded Peter. Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Why was Jesus so upset? Why was Jesus so adamant? Because he knew what was at stake because he understood that there is only one way for sins to be forgiven, that there is only one path that leads to heaven. God, the Father's plan, demanded that his son be arrested that night and executed the next day. And that plan was carried out to perfection when our perfect substitute died in our place. Jesus willingly took that cup of suffering into his hands and drained it to the dregs to demonstrate how much he loved his misguided disciple and how much he loves you and me. John provides us with several unique details about what happened in the garden that night. But he doesn't tell us what happened to the man Peter struck with his sword. The Gospel of Luke reports that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the servant's ear and healed him. It was Jesus' final miracle before his crucifixion, but why did he do it? Why did he take the time to heal this man's ear? Why was he so eager to help his enemy? Because this is who Jesus is. Because That is what Jesus does. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save. Jesus has a burning love for lost souls. He is full of compassion and mercy, which explains why a few hours after he healed Malchus, he reached out his hands one last time. He stretched out his hands on the cross to redeem us from our sins, to fulfill Isaiah's prophetic words so that by his wounds we might be healed. Amen.
0: own sacrifice complete it is finished here